All right, welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host, and today I have Joel Turner with us, and we are really excited. So welcome to the podcast, Joel. Thank you. Great to be with you here. Yeah, this is exciting to uh, introduce you to our audience and for me also to get to uh, know you yeah. uh, better. You were with us, uh, I guess it's been about almost a year ago, I believe it was, it's here at Forest Park speaking. Wow, yeah, no, an amazing time, amazing church, uh, just a great experience, and plus I love that part of the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I know you have a lot of friends here, and I know whenever we mentioned that you were coming to speak, uh, a lot of people were just like, oh, that's awesome. I got to go hear Joel. Unfortunately, uh-huh. I was out of town. I was in South America doing a outreach uh, trip there, leading a team, right. but you were yeah. here and I heard so many positive things about your time with us. So we look forward to maybe having you back in the near future. No, I appreciate it, bro. I know you left a lot of snacks in your green room for me, so that meant a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, this is, I was thinking about this as we were preparing for the episode today that yeah. I have three firsts for this uh, podcast. One, Joel <laughs> is our first remote podcast interview. Yay. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're breaking it in. Uh, Typically (laughs) we have somebody sitting across uh, the desk or table from me as we interview them, but Joel's actually in Canada. That's right. (laughs) So we're doing this remotely. So it's a first, we also have, this is the first interview with somebody outside the U S. Wow. Yeah. As you're sitting there in Canada. So that's really cool. And I think this one's the most interesting. You are the first evangelist comedian we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, it's a rare combo, bro. It's a rare combo. <laughs> Actually, you're you're the first evangelist comedian I've ever known. So, <laughs> hey, me yeah. too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into that exactly what that is. I also yeah. noticed on your uh, Facebook page that you are an evangelist comedian with impeccable hair. You know, I try to do a lot with my hair. I did a perm just for our radio show today. And so right. I appreciate the noticing of that because that means a lot to me. Yeah, it takes you a while to get your hairstyle ready for the day, I'm at, sure. At least 30, <laughs> maybe 30 to 40 seconds. So right. I put a lot of time into that. Yeah, and those of you who are listening and have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> uh, go to Joel Turner's Facebook page and you'll see what we're talking about. His right. His beautiful hair his locks. They're, they're gorgeous. The flowing locks. (laughs) Hey, well, let's, let's jump into this, uh, Joel, by, by me throw a question out to you, as we just mentioned about you, you are an evangelist comedian. At least that's the title we saw on your, your Facebook page there. And I know that just from talking to several of your friends, tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, uh, I definitely didn't, I don't think I came up with it. I'm going to spiritualize it and say, I'm pretty sure the Lord forced me into it. <laughs> right. So I uh, ran a comedy club a number of years ago in Western Canada. I'm, I don't know if you're um, here as have heard of the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh, but, yeah. Right. So I've listened to that many times. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, two of those guys, Ryan Stiles, the tall guy, Colin Mockery, the bald guy, who for your listeners, that's the same hairstyle I'm rocking right now. Right. Uh, anyway, these two guys are from what's called VTSL or Vancouver Theater Sport League. And so they trained a bunch of guys. Uh, I was in VT- VTSL when I was 17 years old, uh, competing on what's called the circuit, places like Granville Island, Vancouver, that, you know, maybe one person listening to this knows what that is. But the point is this, I basically, in the style of improv comedy, got this goal that I would set up comedy clubs across Western Canada, like kind of move city to city, set up a comedy club, you know, and, and sort of make it that way, if you will. Um, I didn't know the Lord. 
I wasn't a Christian at all. I was uh, dating a Mormon girl. And when I was 19 years old, I moved with her to a city five hours off the east uh, or off the west coast, Vancouver, five hours inland to a city called Kelowna, which is quite a cool kind of young adult. It's basically the summer spot in Canada is what I would say, the Kelowna, the Okanagan region. Uh, and so we went there to set up this comedy club. She was a Mormon. Uh, I had led her away from Mormonism, but not into Christianity because I wasn't a Christian. I was just sort of into that. Like, I, I don't know why, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I ended up dating a bunch of girls from different religions and was right. like starting to get confused as to why they all had contradicting, you know, views and yet really wanted to know, like, there's got to be truth here. And so I started talking with her and she kind of walked away from Mormonism. But when we got to Kelowna and opened the comedy club, uh, she she broke up with me, which was, you know, just devastating. I remember, you know, sitting on my couch listening to like Silk FM, just the name of the radio station alone, Scott, should be enough to depress anyone. <laughs> Still crying in the fetal position saying, Adrian, like it was not right. good. And uh, basically, I uh, I remember just like foolishly thinking, well, I just need to date someone else right now. So I called up this other girl I knew and I said, Hey, uh, let's go out tonight. Thinking we go clubbing or something. She said, I'm already going out. I said, great. Where are you going? I'll go with you. And she said, I'm going to this thing called refiner's fire. And I thought, oh, that's not a church, is it? And she said, well, it is, but it's like really cool. It's full of young adults. I don't know if anyone listening fell for that, but I did. And I was like, okay, I'll go with you. So I remember being super like conscious of like, I, I was a DJ for the radio station in town. Like we, the, the rock station. 104.7 The Lizard. I was uh, uh, ran a TV show called Around Kelowna with Joel Turner, which was doing really well in the region. And I had the comedy club. So I think to myself, I thought, man, I don't want to get seen or like the Italians would say, Scott, made at a church service, right? Yeah. I thought, man, I'm going to just hide in the back. So I wore dark sunglasses and I wore a baseball cap. And I said, look, I'll go with you. We're going to sit in the back row. She's like, that's fine. We sit in the back row. The preacher gets up on stage, looks out over the audience and looks around the room and he, he points me out. He goes, hey, Joel Turner is here. And like 250 young adults turned <laughs> and look, looked at me. And That's I thought, great. oh my goodness, I just got busted out of church. I'm done, you know? Someone's going to find out. And this wow. guy, though, amazingly, Scott, he pulled me aside after and he said, hey, man, let's go for a coffee. And basically through that and a couple other things, he pointed out Jesus to me, which was so different than religion, wow. rules, regulations that I had kind of grown up with this idea of. And, you know, just the light that was shining and just the brightness of it just drew me to Jesus. And it was wow. just, I'm like, Jesus, that's all that matters. I wasn't interested in religion. I didn't need more people telling me I was bad at stuff. I had enough of that in my life already. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I cried out to Jesus. Well, the, then, then, and you tell me if I'm sharing too much here, but then no, basically I walked back into the comedy club called a staff meeting. I had about 20 comedians working for me. The club was doing great. And Scott, honestly, I could write a book on how to kill a comedy club in three months. It was hilarious. <laughs> I sat them all around. I said, guys, listen up. I just became a Christian. We should all become Christians right now, which is really the first way to kill a comedy club. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure they found all that funny. Yeah, 10 of them. 10 of them did. <laughs> 10 of them left right away, quit the club. Yeah. Uh, ten of Five of the remaining 20, um, I think they just stuck around to see what happened to their weird director. Right. Uh, and then the remaining five in some you know form or another they basically turned their lives to the lord and started seeking wow. the lord so this kind of like little mini 
you know, breakthrough revival took place. And and then what happened was I took out all the drinking, smoking, swearing. I'm teaching near swears to um, non-Christian actors and comedians. Uh, changed the price from $18 to three. Um, and what happened was all the clientele started changing. So you get rid of all the guys that are in there just to get drunk. And all of a sudden you've got young adults because you know christians are funny at this right they find out they're like oh the guy running the comedy club became a christian let's send our kids so that's what happened so now you start filling this place with like you know a couple hundred uh young adults youth and and you know it's just a mix of everyone well and people say well how'd you get into how'd you get into the ministry or become you know a pastor and evangelist well this is really funny the largest baptist church in canada was across the road from my comedy club i had essentially rented this warehouse leased it and the front was this coffee shop and so he comes into the coffee shop says i want to talk to the director where is he so one of the staff pointed him back i said yeah what's up he goes hey i heard you got saved i got a problem <laughs> like he's like i heard you became a christian i have a problem i'm like i thought that was a good thing <laughs> and he's like well it is a good thing except none of my youth are coming on youth night now when we say youth his youth is like 400 youth yeah. and they're all coming to our comedy club now and the nights are supposed to be at youth so he's a smart guy. He, he's like, you know, if you can't beat them, hire them. So basically he hired me as his assistant youth pastor. That's how I got into the ministry, bro. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, tell me a little about your, um, your, your childhood. Did you grow up in a religious home? Was it something that you were going to church each week or what? Yeah, you know, it it was interesting, right? So, I mean, my whole family's British. So you have that whole British humor side of things. Uh, right. But from the time of being a small kid, my parents, first off, um, yeah, comedy and definitely religion were a part of our family. My dad um, was a traveling minister. My mom still today is probably the most godly person I know. Uh, so I grew up in this dichotomy and my parents would like wake me up when I was a little kid in England at the age of like seven and be like, Hey, come into the living room. We're having a house party, come do comedy and, and do, you know, impersonations for like British accents were a big thing back then. They were like, come yeah. do some British accents for the people in the house. Right. So they're, they're asked, they would wake me up for parties. Well, you pretty much set the trajectory of a child's life when you do that, right? I mean, like, wake up, child, you know, like, and um, come and do a party. So there was that dichotomy of like comedy was huge in our house. British humor uh, still today is just a huge part. And then the second part of it was definitely I had a rich religious upbringing. Uh, it just never really caught when I was 17. I was already doing travel comedy um in vancouver on the circuit and winning competitions and solo stand-up so or improv compete so i mean those were like just big things that kind of pulled me away and um i would say just the party life and girls as well was a big part and so those things you know i i, I grew up in it but once i hit high school it was just life of the party goofball and it just pulled me away from it if that makes sense yeah so you've always had a dream of being a comedian ever since you were a child was that kind of your life goal when you were a kid? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if it, I, and I'd be curious to ask you the same question. I don't know if it always starts that simple, yeah. like life dream. I think I just really enjoy making people smile and that really hasn't changed for me. Um, so I think I just grew up with that, man, if, if I could do this somehow, you know, for a living. I mean, when I was in high school, because I immigrated from England to Canada, 
uh, it was really bizarre. They upgraded me a whole year. Do you, do you guys use that same term, upgraded or whatever? Uh, no. Meaning no. like they put me in grade seven, but my age was grade six. Okay. And yeah. so that created two things. And it's kind of funny when you look at someone's life, how God shaped it, because what it did was because I was the smallest and the youngest, I kind of had to lean on humor to get in and out of situations. And uh, and also my whole graduating class when they were, what do you guys call them? Seniors, grade 12? Yes. Yeah. Well, we don't use that term up here. Just, you know. <laughs> so uh, in my senior year, I was grade 11 age. Everyone else was grade 12. And I wasn't quite up to par to graduate with them. So my principal for my final year of school, this is another one of those setting a trajectory things, Scott. She said, well, I'll tell you what, Joel, you're only, you're only a few grades away. And I hate doing the assemblies for this huge school of 1500 kids. So why don't you do all the assemblies for me? Why don't you wow. uh, do some comedy for all the assemblies and do give all the announcements? And then that way I'll graduate you. So that's how I graduated high school, bro. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a lot of people listening to the podcast who, you know, have had this dream inside of them. Yeah. They have a goal and it could be either to start a business or sure. plan a church or, you know, pursue maybe a lifelong dream they've had, but they're somewhat stuck, you know, maybe in a job they just do not enjoy. And they hear someone like yourself who yeah. has had this kind of burning desire to make people laugh and just pursue that dream, which very few people can do that. You know, there are people who would who, who enjoy singing, but they can't sing or right. they enjoy art, but they're not very good at it. But here here, here you are. Uh, not only did you enjoy making people laugh, you had the ability to do so, which sure. I think is a is a beautiful thing. So there's some people out there who might be somewhat frustrated with with where they are. Yeah, um, I know that you encountered some hurdles on your way from being, you know, a kid who had this goal to make people laugh and to where you are today. Um Give us a give us a couple of those difficult moments in your life or some hurdles that you kind of had to overcome in order to be where you are today and encourage some people out there who are doing that right now, who are facing sure. some of those roadblocks, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first hurdle that comes to mind, number one, is we bounced around a lot as a family. My dad's um, ministry, he was kind of the Christian ambassador to England for Israel back in the day. And mm -hmm. so, and he would just... We just moved so many times. And I guess I would say to people like, you know, I would just encourage people like trust that God has a plan. That's the first thing you say. Yeah. Why? Well, because if you look at the plan, even when man messes it up, God still gets you where he wants to get you. Yeah. You know, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. So what's the key thing? I think it's just surrendering to the Lord's will. Uh, you know, if the scriptures say he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. I think sometimes we actually make it harder when we kick against, you know, his will or his ways. There's a term in the Bible. We kick against the goads. It's kind of those yeah. sharp things that we kick back in. And we need to just kind of trust the Lord and let it unravel a little more. I think that's a huge one for people. I'm constantly, I do a lot of outreach with young adults. I'm going back to the States here in a few weeks to do another big outreach with some young adults. Um, and that's a constant, like, you know, how do I, how do I trust the Lord? How do I, well, I tell people like, rather than just taking this approach of uh, sitting back and letting it happen, you know, there's a great verse in scripture that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And it's Psalm 37. And um, I think people, they take, you can 
interpret that a few different ways. The first way is contractually. You say, okay, well, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord, then I get what I want. But you can see the error in that way of thinking. Sure. And I think we've all done it. It's like uh, this Mormon girl that I was dating was probably the first big explosion of any grand size when I was 19. So I thought I was going to marry her. And so, but I remember approaching the Lord in a very like, okay, delight myself in the Lord. He'll give me what I want. I remember asking God, hey, just give me that girl and I will do what you want. But you see how that sort of flips uh, or inverts the equation? Oh, it yeah. makes God into a genie in a bottle, which he's not. And it says, if you, then I'll. Now, the second way people interpret that verse I've found, and this is a huge one, especially for people like young adults, I just find, but everybody really, is I delight myself in the Lord. So I actually try now to do the right thing, not just contractual, but I actually try to delight myself in God, but I'm still doing it so that, you know what I mean? Right. So even though I give my effort to the right thing, it's not the wrong thing now. I want this, so I'll do this. It's I need to delight myself in the Lord. So I try really hard, but there's still that kind of, I'm doing this because. And the best thing I think is to interpret the verse that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he does give you the true desires of your heart. But if you truly pursue him, like Jeremiah says, with all your heart, then guess what? You find that he's your delight all along. That was a big deal for me. That was a life changer for me. I contractually said, God, give me this beautiful girl, this Mormon girl. So I still had the conversation with him. And if you do that, then I'll follow you. Well, he gave me the girl and I didn't follow him at all. I just walked away from him, fully away from him. And I was miserable. And I thought this thing would give me my delight. But in actual fact, it turned me from the Lord. But amazingly, he's such a gentleman. He's so gracious. He's like, okay, here you go. But I think obviously in the sovereignty of God, he knows I'd get to the end of that and be miserable. And it's only when I fully pursued him for him that I found my delight. And my true delight is in him. It's in the Lord. It's in Jesus. And I can't explain the difference for people in that. Like with the trials and the sufferings that we're going to have in life, we have opportunities. Those opportunities either turn us back to the Lord or from the Lord. Uh, so that pivotal point in my life, that was the cruncher. Am I going to take this and make it against the Lord? Why hasn't he given me this, this, and this? Or see that um, in spite of it not being a good thing for me, he'll allow it. But his desire is for me to get back to where he's my true desire. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I have learned in my own life that as you begin to you know, follow after Christ and pursue him, that your yeah. your desires themselves change. They change. And wow. you just begin to want different things. And then you kind of wake up and realize, uh, wow, I, the very things that I want are the very things that I have. And it's not that he gave you yeah. necessarily all the desires you had a few years ago. It's just that your desires have changed so much. Right. You now have God in a, in a, in a, you know, a, an amazing way. And the very things that you crave the most, you now have, which is Absolute. you know, Absolutely. Him and relationships and love and all the things begin to change. So that's beautiful. Well, well, that's it, right? You start out going, this is the thing I want. And even with dreams, I tell people you have to, I mean, dreaming is great, but you have to also be careful, keep your dreams in check. Because yeah. the ultimate dream is is my relationship with him. You know, that thing that I'm so convinced I've got to start now. I've got to start this. I've got to do that. Some of that may be really good. But the bottom line is, 100 years from now, it's just him. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly and right. So I want to filter everything through. I like how Paul said, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, he says, for the love of Christ is what compels me or motivates me. Yeah. So my motivation, I always want to check against who am I doing this for? 
is if I do it just solely for me in an end of itself, it's going to end up being pretty dry. But Paul's like, hey, the thing that makes me get up in the morning, even after I've been whipped, beaten, stoned, chased out of town, I mean, that guy had it rough. Yeah. The thing that keeps me going is is my love for Jesus and, and other people. And I always tell people wherever I travel, you know, the two things will be, you know, if you will, we'll, we'll come in and stand before the Lord on our love for Jesus and our love for others. That's it. If you boil it down. That's great. Well, when you were a kid, uh, did you ever imagine that you would also be in ministry? Was that something that was, was pulling at you, a sense of calling, or well, you it know, surprised you that you yeah. ended up in ministry? Yes and no. Um, I really just, I think, you know, I went to this place as a kid. They had these big rallies in England growing up. And I, I won't lie to you, they even seemed a little weird to me as a kid. But I remember this guy praying over me. And he was like, God's going to use you to reach the nations. Hmm. Uh, and I don't think it was just a line. It stuck with me. And even my dad back in the day reminded me, kept reminding me as I grew up, like God's going to fulfill that in your life. And I think at the time you're just like, you know, you're nine and you're fired up sure. about Star Wars figures attacking <laughs> each other and your sisters. So it's a little bit different right. to think. Uh, but now I feel in a large way I get to do that. So it's quite humbling to look back and go, the Lord's hand was on. You know, you think of David in the Bible, you know, he didn't even get presented by his own dad as one of the options for being a king. Uh, When, when, you know, when they were looking for a king, his own dad just ignored him and brought out all these other sons. And then yet the Lord had his hand on this guy all along, even though he went through some crazy rough times. And I kind of look at that and I go, yeah, I had some rough times. My parents split up. Uh, this girl broke up with me, so I really tr- like had issued had issues with trusting. Like, can I trust people? Um, and and you know, I, I'm one of those people. It's kind of like, well, prove yourself to me. But it's amazing how when the Lord proves Himself to you time and time again, uh, you, you you learn to trust and open up more to other people too. Yeah, so true. Well, so what what's family like uh, today? Married kids. What's family life look like for you? I love it. I I love speaking on the topic of, um, you know, loving your wife and kids. I have four kids. Uh, Wow. I have two boys. Cruz is seven. Roman's 11. My girls, Tatum is 13. Chloe's 14. Uh, My wife, Tanya, uh, is a very young and fun 45. And of course, (laughs) I'm 23. No, no, I'm uh, 44. Sorry. It's just how I feel. But no, I love it. I really believe that's a large part of my ministry is traveling around telling people like, love your kids. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just love your wife. Like you'll be so blessed. It's what you pour into it. Right. So, I mean, family life for us is super fun in the house. I do a lot of crazy things to try and, um, I, and I encourage people all the time, have fun with your kids. You've only got them for a short amount of time. Well, it's I so mean, true. Truly, anyone listening right now, do this. The next time you go through drive through and I'm going to try and be culturally sensitive because we don't have Sonic up here, but you guys have Sonic down there, right? Yes, we do. <laughs> so what are the other drive through McDonald's. What's another yeah. one down there? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. All right. The next time, people, that you go through, 
challenge your kids, even if you don't know one, say, okay, tell me what accent to order. in." I do this all the time. It's so <laughs> fun. No, Joel, that's easy for you. You're a comedian. No, but truly, I'm just saying, have fun with your kids. They will remember those things. Those are the things that kids remember. You right. you want to really mess up the person at the drive-thru. You know, you order it in one language, pick it up in another. <laughs> and that they just look at you like, what? What just happened here? So, Man, that'll be the things your kids remember, though, 25 oh. years from today. I can't tell you, man, just having fun. I also tell people like, give your kids rules. Kids needs rules just like we did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, be willing to break them like crazy every now and then. So That's randomly right. and not scheduled like every, I don't want to oversell this. So I'd say probably every six months I'll go, okay, it's daddy night and there's no curfew. We go to the basement. My wife goes to bed. We go to the basement. The rule is you have to stay up all night, watch video, you know, play video games, right. watch movies and eat junk food, you know? And it's just, <laughs> they tell their friends, they tell their friends, parents, oh, my dad does this. And you just, you know, I love that verse in the scripture. I think it's in the Psalms where he says, uh, children are a heritage from the Lord. And then yeah. he goes on and he talks about them. They're like, they're like, um, what does he say? They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Like he, he talks about children as being this prized possession. And I am notoriously bad at this, as I'm sure some of your listeners are too, but maybe it's just me. But uh, we we look at things and we go, well, my business, my career, those are my prized possession. But the Bible says it's your kids. Yes. That's what you got to pour into. You pour into them. And amazingly, what I've found is the more you pour into them, the more you get out of them. Yeah, and so, so true. we just do a lot of crazy things. I bought these little boxes, Scott. They're tiny little um, um, boxes and they, they kind of just close nicely. And because one year my kids said, dad, why is it stockings are only at Christmas? Right? They're, they were <laughs> Christmas stockings. They were like, why can't right. they be? all year round. So now I've given them each their little box and it's not like I'm spoiling them, but maybe once every three months I'll hide some little thing that says, I'm thinking about you in this box in their room. And then I'll come in the house and I'll, I'll go hide them while they're doing something else. And then I'll literally yell at the top of my lungs. Hey kids, I love you. And the trigger word is I agape you, which as you know, is a Greek word. It just means um, like unhindered love, you know, right. like, and so once I say the word agape, they scream still today run to find where i've put their agape boxes what i call them open them up and it doesn't have to be big it just you know it, it makes a difference right those are some great ideas joel i hope some parents will take some of those and and implement them hey what do, what does your travel schedule look like uh, i'm trying to wondering how you balance all that with your kids and your <laughs> wife and how, how 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 much do you travel yeah quite a bit i'm trying to um i have to balance it i've been running for five years, an outreach in our city called Gravity Church, which will have about upwards of 50 people on a night get yeah. saved at it, which is pretty awesome, or at least commit to Christ. Um, and so there's that. Then there's the church, Mountain Springs, that I pastor, which I just love. And then so you're right. It's sort of um, that final third of ministry that really I can't take as much time on it, but yeah. um, I'm just very wide open. So I have agreed an amount of days that I can be gone with my el my elder team, my leadership team for me to travel. Um, and it allows me to go and do some pretty fun stuff, but I sort of have to pick and choose because of what you're saying, being a dad, being a yeah. husband, first and foremost, then being a pastor, then being an evangelist, even in our city and doing outreach. Yeah. But I like to... it because a lot, when requests come in, then I just get to pray over them and go, um, you know, which one does God want me to do? If that makes yeah. sense. I just got back yeah. from a preaching tour down in California. So that's great. Are you able to take your wife and, and kids with you sometimes? 
Sometimes, I mean, most of the time they're looking for you unless it's like a marriage conference, which I do those too. Tanya and I will do those. And she's a great teacher too. So, and really funny. So unless it's a marriage retreat or marriage conference, or sometimes if I can tag on, um, like if I'm speaking in one place on marriage, they might say, bring your wife, then I can, you know, book a couple other things all over the area. Like for example, uh, in June, I go speak at a conference and I speak at an outreach and a church and a men's conference. But for one of them, they want my wife there. So I'm like, perfect. So just obviously book her the whole time. And it's right. great. Yeah, that's great. Now, does she enjoy traveling uh, like you do or is she more enjoy staying home and I would or say, what? Yeah, I would say both. She's um, she, her whole her dream in life. Truly, honestly, Scott is loving on those four kids and yeah. me. And that's just her dream. So that's beautiful. Um, I don't think homeschooling's for everyone, but she chose to homeschool. I supported her in it because she's a teacher and a nurse, wow. and she just loves it. So wow, um, your kids are kids are doubly blessed, then, right? Oh, their totally. mom. No, they got their mom, but they got a teacher and a nurse. It's all right there now. <laughs> all the things you need, my friend. All <laughs> the things. That's you need. amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious great. regarding being a, being a comedian. Um, sure. it, it, do you enjoy? Um, just consuming comedians? Do you watch them, study them, read about them? Do you just kind of keep yourself fresh by that? Or maybe what's your take on the kind of comedian landscape today? You know, you know, I would say, look, I, I really, I love comedy. I just finished a book on writing a book on what makes something funny, like comedy and really? humor. So I absolutely love it. Um, uh, the last book I read, like I, I just finished writing a book, but the last book I read obviously was for the book was called The Humor of Christ by Elton Trueblood. Yeah. It's actually a book from eons ago, just about the theology of humor. Like, I love the topic. I just think, man, we take life so serious and I don't, I don't take myself serious. I take my walk with Jesus incredibly serious. I take my love for other people incredibly serious. And I try to take like what I believe in doctrine incredibly serious. But myself, I mean, that's just where people are pretty tight wound these days and uh, myself included. So uh, I think my heart is just to use humor to break down walls. It's a, it's an ends to a means. It connects with people. I get the privilege of leading a lot of people to Jesus, praying with people to receive Christ. Inevitably, humor for me is a, a tool to break down walls because people yeah. just have these walls up. And if you can laugh along with them and go, hey, look, we're we're both kind of like, you know, just simple people here trying to get by. But um, look at some of these things. I, I find that God's really used it to break down walls. That's so, great. But I love it. I'm a student of it as well. And I'd say anyone today notices if they turn on Netflix, which we have in Canada, by the way, Scott, just want to say that. Oh, great. Yeah, the Zambonis just came across and connected it to the electricity. <laughs> now, are, got in our your, your TVs, are they in color? Just now. Thank you for asking. It was painful for several years, but uh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, um, no, but we, uh, I'd say if you look at Netflix, they're going to show you just by that culturally that people connect to comedy, comedians, humor. Oh, yeah. And they are the big sellers of the day. They're the big communicators. I can say that even as a pastor, it's like yeah. the communicators of the day are. Our comedians. So hey, let, let me let me ask you, yeah. what do you think is something pastors could learn from comedians? I mean, obviously humor, but you know, sure. I think some pastors are way too you know serious too. Yeah. As yeah. far as communication, their their speaking abilities and skills. 
what what what's something one or two things that you think pastors could really do well if they would just learn from comedians? Yeah, and I'm not a real book promo guy because nobody could actually buy my book right now. It's at the agent. <laughs> oh, okay, through. but the I was going to is- ask you about it, so I was curious how we could get a copy. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I'll, and I'll get you one as soon as they come out. My gift to you, but honestly, the um, the whole book is based on this. So get this picture if you will. Go back, jump back with me, twenty years to when I got saved. I was a 23 year old Christian comedian. So I'm excited to go walk into this big church in town, right? So I go sit down in the audience with a couple other Christians who just become Christians and the pastor gets up and no disrespect because it happens to all of us. And uh, even as a comedian, there's still components of comedy that you're wanting to develop. He gets up, he makes a joke. And I looked at the other two guys and I said, oh, he just broke the rule of threes. So this is where, I mean, I had an idea for a book when I was 23 because I thought, man, every pastor, most pastors, we would have to say, use humor or comedy to some degree, but you'll never find humor offered at a seminary. And I'm not even in the book, I say this, I'm not even suggesting you should have a course on comedy. I'm just saying if you're all doing it, (laughs) then why not get some help? That's the idea of the book. book I'm looking forward to getting your book. Yeah, it's called Humor for Dummies, dot, 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 and Pastors. Uh, <laughs> so they're not one of the same? No. I think, well, they might be. It depends on the day we have, right? <laughs> but right. Uh, yeah, the opening chapter says, um, and if you'll forgive the language because it's not as harsh up here in Canada, but it says <laughs> basically pastors suck at um, pastors suck at humor, and I am one. That's basically my opening <laughs> right. line. Because Your book will be available uh, through Amazon, through different booksellers? Yeah, it'll be once it's out. It's just at a, a. I've got it in with a really good agent right now, so it's a working title. But I think that's the title they're landing on, and yeah. we'll we'll have to see. But the general idea is, I'm gonna go after something then the con, even in the non-Christian comedy world that is not challenged, which is this idea that this notion you can actually grow in humor, and I really believe that you can. Take the Marx Brothers when they started out; they were the ones that said you can't learn comedy and grow in humor. But if you actually take the Marx Brothers themselves, what you realize is the first few shows they did were horrible. And their mom took them around show after show until they got good. So Mm -hmm. even their life disproves what is considered a non-breakable idea in the world of secular comedy, which is you can't grow in comedy. But my book goes after that uh, humbly and says, look, I believe you can. And here's some principles. So it's kind of ch- the first, it's in three parts. It's like part number one, what makes something funny, which has my testimony in it. And then um, part two, can we grow in that? And then part three, how do we connect that to the gospel? In other words, what's the point? Because if it's just comedy for comedy, there's no point, if that makes sense. So good. That, that's, 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 uh, that's interesting to me to read that and learn that. So looking forward to it. Well, tell me, tell me a couple of your favorite uh, comics. Sure. Um, Christian, obviously, when I'm recommending non-Christian comedians, I have to be super careful. Oh, sure. I understand. But just somebody you find extremely, you know, they're just talented. They're just good. Yeah. Their ability to communicate, et cetera. I can, I can, it's a history walk for me. I would go back as far as the first comedians that I was watching growing up were obviously Monty Python in England. Those guys, John Cleese, those guys are brilliant. Um, and then a bunch of shows in England that nobody's really heard of, like Open Fools, uh, Open All Hours, Only Fools and Horses. But then um, guys that I, I back in the day I respected, um, and I have his book. Um, Mike Myers was really 
quite, again, before I knew the Lord, I was like, wow, here's a guy, think about this, grew up in England, learned comedy, moved to Canada, did comedy, and then went into movies. So similar story, minus the movies and stardom and popularity and all the rest and talent part. But, you know, but <laughs> I, I identify with that. But then modern, like if somebody says, hey, Joel, what's a good, like clean comedian? Man, Brian Regan is just killer funny to me. Mm. Uh, he has a special that you can watch on YouTube for free. It's like 53 minutes long. Um, there's a ton of guys. I don't even know if I could stop giving you guys. Um, sure. Uh, Brian, but I mean, Brian Regan's great. Stephen Wright. Have you heard of him? I've heard of him, but I'm not familiar. enough. So in the book I described, there's really generally in the world of comedy, there's two styles of humor that people ascribe to. It's called low humor and high humor. One is not better than the other. They just describe high humor as more humor of wit, which is more a set like um, you'd say it's more germane to like British humor, dry wit, um, right. turn of phrase, uh, and then low humor, which I would call more Canadian slash North American humor, stuff like Dumb and Dumber, um, you know, Jim Carrey, uh, which is more physically based humor. Uh, Chris Farley back in the day, I don't know if you ever saw him. He was one of yeah, my favorites. Yeah. So I think I think most comedians, I'll tell you this, this is funny. When most comedians would apply for a comedy club 20 years ago, I would sit down with two other comedians and we'd interview them and we'd ask them, hey, tell us a couple of your favorite movies. If they didn't list uh, Monty Python, Search for the Holy Grail, Chris Farley, Tommy Boy, or Dumb and Dumber, if if one of the three of those, because those were very prevalent in that time, weren't listed, they didn't get a second audition. <laughs> <laughs> that's how crazy we were about those guys. So, yeah, that's great. Well, hey, if you could, uh, if you could sit down with a maybe a rising comedian today, um, things that you've learned over the time, what, what would you say to them? Uh, well, the first, the first thing I would say, like, I mean, I really have a heart. For comedians, so I yeah. inevitably people try to connect you with other comedians, especially as you do more uh, shows and things like that. Um, so quite a bit of work in California, so I end up bumping into them inevitably. But the bottom line for me is, man, I was a guy that was just very empty. I would just get tired of making people laugh. And then at the mm -hmm. end of the day, feeling this void, this emptiness, like, why isn't that enough? Uh, so now if ever I meet them, I mean, if they there's two perspectives. One is if I'm meeting them first, I mean, I love to just connect with comedians and inevitably comedians always, they have this kind of funny thing where they try to like out funny the other guy. <laughs> and I'm sure I used to do, I don't do it anymore, but it's just this, it's like a badge of honor. It's like, Oh, you're funny. Oh, let's both be funny. Okay. Here it goes. And then they kind of get into it. But inevitably, man, I have a heart for them, Scott, because yeah. I think that my story connects with a lot of guys, which is, I just want to make that girl in the front row, you know, laugh and then hopefully connect with her, go home with her or something and be empty. And, yeah. and it was like, where's, how do you fill that void? So I think it's quite, uh, you know, it's a generalization, but it's, I, I have read and, and, you know, watched some interviews and things with about, um, comedians and I've heard over and again that many of them struggle with depression. Many of them, you know, their, their persona Absolutely. on stage is so much different than what it is behind the scenes. And there's a lot of drug use and a lot of, you know, uh, doing the best they can to kind of keep their life together. Do you find that? Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah. So I can well, why you do you that. think that is? Why, why is it that this guy, this girl that just sure. has this amazing ability to find humor in the smallest things of life, 
but yet they struggle so much behind the scenes. What, what's the deal from your perspective? Well, you know, it's really interesting. In the interview phase, when you're trying to interview comedians to, to work for you for your comedy club, I found a correlation between them. I don't know if I could say it's exhaustive, but what you found was a lot of them moved a lot. Interesting. Not all of them. Uh, so that means they're constantly adapting to new environments. Almost all of them had an angry dad, which I find really interesting, really interesting. And, uh, and kind of creates this acting up slash performance mentality. And so what then you run into is just a lot of insecurities. And so that's why I feel like part of my ministry is to those guys. And, and because really they're looking for love me, you know, everybody's looking for love, right? In yeah. a sense. And that's really at the heart of it. When I think of guys like Robin Williams, when I think of guys like Chris Farley, man, I had a staff party for all my comedians uh, so they could bring a significant other. This is about 40 of us. And the same night we had our, this was a Christmas staff party, Chris Farley, brilliant comedian, um, basically, you know, ended up dead with a prostitute, um, OD'd on drugs and alcohol. And so you've seen all these grown comedians in the room just crying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so what's that about? Just an appreciation for Chris Farley? No, it's, it goes beyond that. It's um, it's understanding that there's this sort of insecurity that can surface in a lot of these guys that makes them perform, but they still wrestle through a lot of the emptiness and the, you know, and I think that you, when you hear some of these guys, they pre, we talk, uh, and I talk about this in the book, that this sort of classic, um, there's truth in comedy, but also there's there's comedy in pain. And so pain becomes a big thing that you joke about. Like we we laugh when a guy walks into a wall that he doesn't see. And that's pain. And there's truth in that because we've been there. We've done the same thing. That's kind of the classic. And so, yeah, no, I have a burden for sure for those guys. If I could sit down with them, uh, I would point them to Jesus. I've often thought, man, Lord, just give me some situations where I can meet some of these guys. Because I think they also can build this kind of temple around them of nobody understands me. Nobody gets yeah. it. People yeah. say they do, but they really don't. They're just the people that laugh at my jokes. Yeah. Other comedians get it for sure, though. Yeah. Well, I know at the heart of everything you do is your, is your passion for uh, reaching people and the evangelism side. Sure. Uh, I'm curious what your opinion is or kind of the state of evangelism today from what you've seen. You're traveling, meeting people. Um, I know in the U.S. I have my own opinion. You yeah. know, obviously I don't live in and, and see and experience Canada. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, what what's your opinion of the state of evangelism as a whole? Yeah, well, I would say first off, um, the state of individual one-on-one -on -one evangelism is probably the closest thing to my heart, Scott, because yeah. I think we've gone through um, a lot of Methodism and when it comes to evangelism. Uh, and I'm not even saying they're bad. I'm just historically, you have like friendship evangelism, you have the four spiritual doors, the five laws, you have yeah. the way of the master, you have, so you have a lot of these sort of programmatic approach to evangelism that puts a cue card in a person's hand. And if they don't have the cue card with them or they don't memorize the cue card, well, then they're kind of, you know, they're lost because it's like, oh, I don't have the cue card. I guess I won't share my faith. So. I would say a large staple of my ministry is re-educating people on simply what we see in the Bible about evangelism, which is open up a conversation, keep it natural, and allow the Lord to swing it to the supernatural. Like, for mm -hmm. example, I mean, I always reference this. Uh, 
if you, uh, first of all, I guess I would ask you, does that make sense? Would you see what I'm saying there as far as method evangelism? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you've seen that yourself because it's just yeah. sort of unanimous. I'll go around and pa- I'll ask pastors, hey, so what do you want to grow? And they're like, I want to mobilize my people to share their own faith. I'll say, well, what have you guys done? They're like, well, we did this. We did this. Well, people don't remember the cards, right? Scott? They're right. like, where's the cue card? Where's the cue Step three. Uh, you know, and then you're kind of reading off this card, like, could you just pause for a minute? You're not supposed to give that answer right now. You know, exactly. <laughs> you're supposed to say this. Well, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I was actually trained that way. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. in, in church and then even into college, we were trained with, you know, very specific answers to very specific yeah. questions and even trying to lead people to ask certain questions because we were ready for the answer, right. you know, and we had all our scripture tags and, you know, I yep. could literally just, you know, spit it out in just a matter of minutes and then ask them almost like a salesman at the end, you know, basically, you know, if I can show you how to, if you can afford this, you know, will yeah. you do it? So yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I find it off-putting. And so I do evangelism training weekends with churches all over the place. And I, in about four sessions, I'm going to deal with the biggies. Yeah. Um, but the biggest is just dealing with the inherent belief that it has to be method evangelism. I have to follow a cue card. I have to follow a system. So I try to break that down in session one. And the reason I do is because, you, number one, you don't see it in the Bible. Right. <laughs> That's the big one for me is it's not in the scripture. You see all these guys that were with Jesus, they get fired up. And the Bible says they went out and spoke boldly. So what I try to get people back to is conversation evangelism with boldness. That's quite simply it. Um, Because when you look at method evangelism, it reduces it down to a system. And if you don't remember that, then guess what? People check out. They tried it once. They don't want to try it again. And so what they'll do instead is they will, they'll say, well, that's why we have evangelists, right? Right. (laughs) Or, you know, my friend has- Shifting the responsibility to somebody else. Yeah. And I understand. I kind of feel bad. My burden's for them. I'm like, I get it. Because you got burnt in the process, you pulled out your cue card, it didn't go so well. But that's, I mean, first off, you know, there's some ministries, and again, some of them are better than others. I would say Way of the Master is probably one of the better ones out there, but it doesn't work for everyone. And that's my big um, emphasis is in ministry. When you look through the Bible, no two people find the Lord the same way. They don't. And once you try to take a passage and go, oh, look how he did this, he did this, he did this. And you, you make it formulaic. Now you've locked people into, I must know this system. Whereas I think if you're just led by the Lord, open your mouth with boldness and love these people and start in the conversation, you're going to find the words are there that are way better than anything you can get on a cue card. Right. Uh, so I work on things like that, uh, how to have that conversation, you know, things like keeping it natural. Uh, because of our background, a lot of times Christians, when they share their faith, they're so insecure that they feel I've got to win an argument. I've never led anyone to the Lord through arguing them into the right. kingdom. Nobody's testimony at a baptism service, I promise you, is, oh, I had this awesome fight with Joel, and <laughs> I just knew it was right. No, nobody does that, right? Who's right. going to step up there and say, yeah, and we were in this mighty battle. I hated his guts, and then something happened. The light went on. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that way. So I think that um, just the simplicity of keeping it natural starting conversations with people like take Jesus, for example. I mean, it's so obvious when he meets the woman at the well, what does he use to converse with her as this topic starter water? When he's talking with fishermen, what does he talk about fish? So why do we end up in conversations going, have you ever been washed in the blood of the lamb? Like it's just so warped, right? right? And people just look at you like, yuck, what? 
because yeah. it's unnatural. It's not taking your natural surroundings and just having a conversation. Yeah, so good. Do you do you offer ongoing uh, training at your church, or if you I don't, how do you training. how do you go about training people? Or yeah, most you know, I do some training at my church, but like anything at your own church, it's like <laughs> it's pretty common for my people to get fired up about this, but. Most of the time, the training that I do is outside of the church because everybody in our church has been trained on it quite a bit, if that makes sense. So we started an outreach in the city, and they're used to bringing tons of people out, and we've seen some pretty cool things that God's done. But no, now, of course, that once I was doing Gravity for a few years, people started asking, you know, what's how's that work? How how are all these people getting saved? So you end up traveling around and just training other churches. That's That's really a big passion of mine. That's awesome. Well, hey, just a couple more questions, Joel, and I, I appreciate so much your time and and uh, you're, you know, you're pouring out of information in your life. It's so helpful to people. Uh, so just a couple personal questions to get people to get to know you a little bit uh, even more. Um, what is something that is true about you, but people would have a difficult time believing? Uh, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something that you, you know, collect behind the scenes or something you're really passionate about that a lot of people just don't know about. Sure. I'm a professional sumo wrestler. I don't share that very often. I'd rather you don't laugh. I don't share that very often. I wasn't expecting it, so I'm sorry. I believe the visual is hard for people. And (laughs) so particularly my wife, I tried it once and she asked me never to do that again. No. Okay. So what is something about me that might surprise people? Yeah. Um, That's a great question. (laughs) I battle with the fact that when you travel a lot, this could sound like a big excuse. Now I'm not sending the link to my wife. I'm going to tell you right now. She's not getting this. Don't you dare send it to her. I battle a lot, what I call the battle of the bulge, my good friend. And that yeah. is just when you travel a lot, here's the excuse, ready? Um, then places like In-N-Out become like In-N-Out Burger. If you, you guys don't have that in North Carolina, but the reason I say yes to a lot of California bookings is because of In-N-Out Burger and, right. and Jesus, of course. But right. um, so, yeah, I would say that's a daily battle for me. I am, um, I'm constantly, that's something that maybe I don't want people to know the battle of the bulge, but yeah. uh, I work out four times a week, but I don't know what it is, but I am incredibly drawn to great food. (laughs) (laughs) I assure you, you're not alone in that that temptation and pursuit. And and let me tell you, I will only do things in North Carolina once a year for that reason. (laughs) Yeah. Barbecued. Everywhere I turn, there's great food here. Oh, and come on. What's that breakfast place that I love when I go there? Um, uh, Just up the road from you. Wow. I'm blanking on it. Bellcross Bakery. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness my goodness. goodness. Yeah. When I go there, I mean, I, I can't tell whether it's the people or the food or both, but I'm in there quite a bit. Yeah. And my wife will say, you're not ministering anymore. You're just growing. And I'm like, honey, I thought growth was a part of the whole thing. <laughs> That's right. So. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, All other right, one more question, other, Joel. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you could sit down with anyone, past or present, enjoy a meal together, just talk with them whether they're, you know, living or have passed on, if you could have that ability to sit down with somebody, who, who would you choose and why? Okay. That's a great question. You got one. Well, you got to say kind of outside of the Bible because probably everybody goes. Oh, sure, 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 sure. That. Um, that's a great question. It might seem crazy, but I would probably pick like whoever the top world leader in the day is. Okay. With the sole purpose of, of, uh, hopefully leading them to Christ. And I don't say that yeah. arrogantly. I would just go, who's the top powerful leader in the day? So I don't really care for 
<laughs> a lot of the leaders today, but right. I would say uh, I would just want to meet with them and share Jesus because I think of influence. Yeah. Uh, and if it was back through history, mm, that's a tough one. Leonard Ravenhill or Abe Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Those are two guys I really, Leonard Ravenhill is a great revival writer. Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar. I actually, uh, I actually went to Leonard's home. And, no. Uh, yeah, I sure did. It was probably about, uh, oh, four or five years before he passed. Wow. And, uh, so a few of my that? friends and I traveled over to Lindell, Texas and sat down in his living room and had a chance to just talk to him for about an hour. And well, Scott, uh, then my answer changes. It's you, bro. If you <laughs> no, no, an no, hour no. with Leonard Ravenhill, new lunch it, day uh, right there. Yeah, it was a, it was a great conversation we had. And, you know, we were just, uh, you know, young kids wow. in, in college and trying to learn and grow in our wow. walk with Christ. And, you know, we walked out of there that night. Our eyes were, as, you know, as big as saucers yeah. and we didn't know what to do and how to process everything. He just, sure. you know, yeah. literally just blasted into us for probably an hour and a half. Wow. And it was uh, it was quite amazing. So I didn't realize at that time the impact hmm. that he had in his life. But I sure did afterwards because I began to dive into a lot of his material. And, wow. you know, yeah, just, no, um, he's, he's probably one of my I mean, I, you know, I'm a reader, I think, like you are, too. So I I read lots and I couldn't say that's my favorite author, but he's definitely one of those guys that has uh, shaped my life, especially yeah. in the area of prayer. I would just say prayer more than anything is what I've taken away. So, yeah, no, I, yeah. let me flip it around and go. What's one thing you got from that time? You know, I, I would say one of the things that I pulled uh, from that evening, that afternoon evening that we had, no doubt, was the the emphasis he places on prayer and the the personal yeah. walk. He was also a a you know a huge John Wesley uh, yeah, fan, yeah. and he had sure. a big bust of John Wesley sitting in his living room, and wow. he he kept referring to Wesley, you know, several times in the conversation. Sure. And yeah. um, his his office was just packed with with books and. Huh. Just that passion for reading and, and learning, but humility, you know, just yeah. this deep yeah. humility. Uh, there were several things that impressed me. I was only at that wow. time, uh, 19, I think it was. Yeah. And we just, we sat there. I think four of us had an opportunity to to sit with him and talk. And we asked question after question. And then a friend of mine who, w the reason we got a contact was because his mom and dad lived in the same town as Ravenhill did. And wow. he got a chance to go back and, and pray with him the next day. No way. And yeah, and he told me that Ravenhill would just, uh, he, he got on his, his hands and knees when he prayed. Yeah. And he would just stay there and just just Prevail. just pray and just a you yeah. know, beautiful, humble sort of way. So I remember we had, I can't even tell you how long the four or five of us uh, talked about that interview yeah, yeah. afterwards. I, I would say we probably referred to it for maybe a few months afterwards because it just had such an impact. I mean, he was probably 80 years old at that time and here we are 19, you know, 20. And he, he just seemed to be a giant in the faith. He, he was, but I'm just saying it to, yeah. to us. He just seemed to be just uh, almost, you know, unapproachable just because yeah. of his, his, his knowledge and his, his beautiful, he had, he had just this beautiful accent uh, yeah. when he would talk and we just enjoyed it. I, I tell you, it, it it, it messed me up in some ways because okay. I didn't even know what to do he with did. it all at yeah, 19 years old. How do you process this guy who, you know, had seen things we, we hadn't seen before and had a depth and knowledge of yeah. history and revivalism and scripture and all these different things. And it was coming out of him so quickly. 
wow. we were trying to take notes. And back then we didn't have phones or any way to record much of anything. But I remember we just took note after note after note. And uh, it was beautiful. See, isn't that cool? You asked me who, okay, Joel, who's the one person through history? Yeah. Uh, you know, I told you Abe Lincoln or yeah. Ravenhill. You're like, no, yeah, I never met Abe. Abe. I never <laughs> met Abe. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. You're like, yeah, I already did that. Check it off your bucket list. I'm like, thanks, yeah. thanks, Scott. That hurts. Hey, by the way, do you have, uh, do you have one of Ravenhill's, uh, uh, a biography? Um, I have it here in my office, but I don't have a copy of it. I mean, I have a copy, but I don't have it in front of me. Uh, it's probably 450 pages or so. It came out a couple of years ago. No, no, I did not. Are you serious? Okay. Yeah, I do. Look, Hang look, on just look at us. We're now nerding out on your show yeah. and everybody's listening to it. Bottom <laughs> shelf right here. Hang on just a minute, Joel. Bottom <laughs> shelf right here, Josh. Okay. And this right here. It's a large book. Yeah. Yep. Right here it is. It's called, let me give you the title. It's called yeah. In Light of Eternity. Oh, great. That sounds In like Light it. of Eternity. And the author is Mac Tomlinson. And uh, this is probably, uh, I've got, wow. I'm looking at it here. It's probably, uh, it's 550 pages. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I will definitely grab that. All kinds of pictures in here of his life and history and how he started and et cetera. So I think you would yeah. enjoy that, especially if you're a Ravenhill fan. No, huge. And I appreciate that. Let me, let me tie it in like this. Why did I say Ravenhill? Well, obviously I love his books. I love what his books do to me. I think the best books are on prayer. You read them and you can't yeah. actually finish them. You have to put them down and pray. Oh yeah. And I think my favorite quote of all time outside of the Bible is Leonard Ravenhill, where he says, you'll never be greater than your prayer life. And even yeah. though I can't necessarily always live up to that, what it does is it makes me go, I want the communion with me and the Lord so good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just to realize that so much of what we pursue, and this is what I would kind of tie into ministry as, as we're getting close to the end here. So much of what we pursue in life is that whole delight yourself, you know, like, oh, I, the desire, I want the desires of my heart. But what I find is that, um, you know, nobody's ever regretted praying more, spending more time with the Lord, yeah. being in his presence, seeking him more. Uh, and to anyone listening, I would say, look, it all comes back to your personal relationship with Jesus. Everything flows out of that, your career, your business, your even your witness in the workplace, being an evangelist, uh, you know, just uh, in your in your home life, everything flows out of my relationship with the Lord. So that's why I picked Leonard Ravenhill. You yeah, know? it's great. It's great. Well, Joel, what is the best way for people to contact you? Because I want to put the links there and people sure. can check out your church. They can check out. I don't know if you have a yeah. A website or maybe just a Facebook page that you would prefer people to go to. Yeah, they can What's go the best to way? Joel Turner on Facebook or probably I'm I'm mostly on Instagram. Reach Joel uh, is my Instagram tag. Reach Joel and so or my handle on Instagram. So that's probably the best way through those. Okay, great. I'm Joel Turner five on Twitter. Uh, I think social media is probably but okay. Reach Joel. Reach Joel now is that is my Instagram. So. Okay. Well, we'll put a couple of those links there for right. people to get up with you. And hey, I, I think it's been uh, really fun to get to know a little bit more of your background yeah. and who yeah. and who you are. I'm hopeful you'll be in the area again soon. Yeah, I hope and, so. Yeah. yeah. And we'd love to have you have, have, sit down and I'll let you buy me lunch. You and, got it, man. You got it. I'll, <laughs> we can, I will take you to Sonic. We, we can discuss books. Drive yeah. through. How about that? That's right. That sounds <laughs> great, Joel. Well, man, take care. Okay. Take and care. thanks so much for your time. All right. God bless. All right. Bye. bye.